0: All right. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Beauty and the Beast Physical Therapy and Strength Conditioning Podcast. We are back after a couple weeks away. Uh, I'm joined as always by my host, Dr. Ross Childs.
1: How's it going, everyone? It's uh, it's always good to be back. Feels like it's uh, it's been forever. Um, Adam, how's everything been with you?
0: Good. Good. Um, getting the uh, online training stuff off the ground. Um, that's really been just keeping me busy the last couple of weeks. Outside of that, nothing to complain about.
1: Yeah, you, you, you look like you uh, are less stressed. So you know, so much for uh, people not wanting to start businesses because it's so stressful and, and whatnot. But it, it's good that you you still have all your hair after starting it. And you know, this I, I figured things would be going well as as you first started to open. Uh summer's winding itself down any uh, any plans for the rest of the summer?
0: No, pretty much all the scheduled stuff is is in the rearview mirror at this point. The trip, the some stuff with some buddies that we had um scheduled, uh, you know, a few months out that was like this past weekend. The rest of the summer is just kind of like, you know, we'll do stuff here and there but nothing really no big trips or anything. All that stuff's in the
1: Yeah, all my scheduled stuff is is pretty much over at this point. Now it's just looking forward to uh, fall with uh, all the fairs and football and, yep. and uh, apple picking. You know, that's that's usually one of the big things for me. The only shitty part is is then you know what comes after fall. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it's like I love snow. I just hate the cold and yeah. the lack of daylight. Yeah, that that always kills me.
0: It's so funny because I always, like, growing up, hearing adults talk about, like, well, adults at the time, like, oh, the, you know, the lack of daylight and always kind of being like, when you're a kid, yeah, you just what, like... what bitches. Right, yeah. And now it's just like, for the first couple weeks, it's nice because you start to see it get dark and you're like, oh, I've got, I can't believe, how is it dark already? And then you realize, oh, wait... I'm done everything, and it's 5 o'clock, I can Uh, just... Let me just lay on the couch. Right, hang out for a couple hours, where normally this would be like 7.38. But after a while, after a couple weeks, it's like, okay.
1: Yeah, definitely from middle December... I wouldn't even say middle of December because at least you have Christmas to look forward to, but January where there's really nothing, yeah, like when you're an adult there's really nothing, you don't get no. school vacations no school or anything like that
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um you know you're not in college, you don't get the first two weeks of January right. January sucks, and the early parts of February really, really blows, yeah because it's just cold, you get those last couple of big storms, yeah, but
0: you don't start having those like fifty degree days like interspersed until like March. You know, oh, I,
1: I'd even say now it's even yeah, further. I mean, March, below, yeah. March just seems like extended winter now, and even early April. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's not be Debbie Downers about it. Let yeah, me, let us all enjoy summer while while we still have I mean, it.
0: Granted, that's why they're here to hear us talk about the weather, yeah, I and mean, that's, that's what everybody tunes I mean, in. I mean, for.
1: the Beauty and the Beast Weather Channel, right? Yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly why everyone chimes in. So. All right, so today, uh, you know, we want to take a little more of a laid back approach as we're getting back into our podcast schedule. Um, Really, we didn't have anything planned ahead of time. I know we said we were going to be a little more structured, but uh, it's summertime and and it's kind of like open gym. You can do whatever you want. So today, we just want to talk about some common fitness and physical therapy myths that are out there. Um, There are some good ones that we'll probably dig into uh, and we'll probably end up going down a beaten path. And then there are some that we're gonna just go way off topic like we always do, um, but hopefully by the end of the day we can dispel some of these myths and uh, hopefully educate you guys a little bit more. So um, Adam, what is a common fitness myth that you would like to discuss?
0: So the one that I think is um, fairly common and that I got, get asked a lot is spot reducing. So spot reducing, for those of you that have never heard that term, means losing weight from a certain body part primarily. This is your, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, I really want to lose belly fat or, you know, how do I lose weight here? And they point to whether it be their hips, their stomach, their, you know, neck, shoulders, Mm. whatever it may be. And the truth is is that there's, there's no way to specifically target fat loss in an area. You can you can target it in that, you know, for like example the, you know, the the underarm fat in, you hear people talk about it, you know, they don't want to see that move jiggle when they move their arms the, or the, I can't,
1: the bingo arm.
0: Yes, that's what it's called. Like there's there's something that they call it, bingo arm, they also called
1: the bat wing.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um so you can kind of you can kind of nail that in that you can do like things that will increase your triceps and stuff like that so it kind of like takes up more space in the area but you can't actually lose fat from you can't target a certain spot by doing a certain exercise fat wise Mm -hmm. um yeah
1: and that's i hear that quite often as well and anyone that's been in the fitness field long enough you've you've heard it more than once and there are even some people out there that will will say that it can be done and and what we know about the laws of of thermodynamics and it just it can't happen unfortunately and the biggest reality of it is the weight that we lose is going to be more tied to our nutrition than working out itself you know and a lot of people think oh i'm going to work out this way to lose fat it just doesn't work that way you know maybe i would say in the in the whole weight loss game or fat loss game not weight loss because there are easy ways to lose weight but unfortunately that that's not the most effective ways for us um the gym is twenty five percent of the equation, and then the rest of it is is nutrition, you know, and and, and other parts into it too, stress management and and sleep hygiene, um, things along those lines. So I, I'm just always amazed where it's like, well, I got to do crunches to to tighten my core. You're strengthening, but you're not necessarily losing that that layer of whatever it is above it to begin with. So I'm always amazed that that people still think that you can do that now maybe someone goes into a short-term caloric deficit and all of a sudden their stomach does get smaller and they say see there was spot reduction well if you also notice your arms are going to get smaller your thighs get smaller your calves got smaller it's an it's an a, a gross spot reduction it's an entire system spot reduction so um it, it's it's unfortunate that people still believe this um but i i just wish people would focus on the right thing not necessarily weight loss but but fat loss, right. you know, maintain the muscle that you do have. Make sure that we are losing the right things. And, and again, we could probably save this for, for another day or we may even get into it later on today. But, you know, what what are the best ways to, to lose fat? Not just weight, mm-hmm. but what's the best ways to actually lose calories from fat? So, uh, I, th-
0: I think, too, that a lot of people don't really you know that it's not going to be it's unfortunate that usually where people want to lose it from the most is just in my experience in terms of you know gender wise it usually is going to be the last place where you want to lose it is often the last place that you're going to lose it mm-hmm. from just just in generalities so most most women that i've dealt with want to lose from around the hips the legs that kind of thing yeah but because Females are more liable to store fat in the lower half of their body. They're, what normally happens is they lose more fat from their upper body first before they even get down to that. Yep. And so, and vice versa, most men will lose weight from, you know, the lower half or like think nipples um, ab- up. I to say above the gut. Right above the gut before, and that's just because gender-wise, that's where our body wants to store things men for those of you that maybe heard like the apple and the pear comparison where women are more liable to keep more fat below their waist whereas men is above Um, so you kind of have to get past that point too Mm. like if you are somebody that wants to lose specifically body fat in the lower half and you're getting upset because that's not happening but You are losing body fat in the upper half of your body. Well, it means that you kind of may have to stay on the same road. You just have to go a little bit longer to get to the point where there tends to be this thought process that the body either, you can either make it go all from one spot or it goes from everywhere at once. And realistically, it's all over the map. You'll lose some from here, some from there, some from here, some from there, some from here. And most of the way that works is entirely genetic based. Correct. In terms of what order you lose from and where.
1: Yeah, you know, you're gonna have people that are also gonna be a little bit more efficient at burning burning fats than than others. Um, you have some people's bodies that hold on to carbohydrates more or convert things into to fatty acids a little bit more. So there's a lot of variables that go into it, but you know, really it's, it's I think to your point, it's the consistency of it. You know, if something is working, Try it a little bit longer. You know, stay with it. Don't get discouraged with it. You know, I think the one of the biggest mistakes during a, a, any type of weight loss or, or fat loss goal is, is that people just don't do it long enough because mm-hmm. they just want that short-term fix. You know, I want to be down 40 pounds in four weeks. It's like, eh, it can be done. However, I mean, that's drastic. Yeah,
0: that's. I yeah, mean, if that's...
1: someone said, oh, you know, eight months, I dropped 40 pounds. It's like, all right, that's, that's slow and steady you know whatever behavior change that happened in that eight month time frame chances are you're going to keep up with it next thing you know that 80 turns to 90 90 turns to 100 if you have that much weight to lose but it's definitely that that (laughs) consistency is what what matters the most now another myth that i always hear is that you're not supposed to stretch before working out I like to be great with these things because I, I don't. There was research that showed back in like the 80s yeah. um, that showed that doing static stretching prior to any type of power exercises decreased your power output. So that's when everyone jumped on the bandwagon and said, don't stretch before you do any type of a workout. Now we have to define what stretching is. What are we actually using it as? Because technically, if we're using a dynamic warm up, that's still a type of stretch. It's just a little more active. It's not passive elongation of the muscle. Um, so do I tell people to avoid stretching? No, I do not. If there's a known impairment so let's say someone has very tight hip flexors, go ahead and loosen them up. You know I, I would probably do a, a self-mobilization, maybe do a hip flexor stretch. I'd probably do the foam roller first, and then I'd probably go in my dynamic warm-up. But then I would focus more on static stretching after the workout. So I usually recommend you know foam rolling in a dynamic warm-up beforehand, and then stretching afterwards. The reason I say that is because they've, they've actually shown stretching, it doesn't seem to matter when you do it, as long as you do it. And, and what are you using it for? Time and time again, research has shown that stretching does not prevent injuries. So if we take the likes of running, for example, and they did a paper specifically looking at injury prevention and stretching in runners. And they said, stretching will not prevent injuries because if you think about the amount of ground reaction force that goes through the ground into the leg and ricochets throughout the body, stretching will never offset that. So what are we actually using it for? I don't know. However, I know I feel better when I stretch. I know i feel better when i foam roll it all works together do i know plenty of people who perform wonderfully without stretching absolutely and if they don't want to use it i'm i'm fine with that so um, i just tell people if you want to stretch beforehand that's fine just make sure you are doing it with foam rolling and a dynamic warm-up Compared to afterwards, you, you don't need the foam rolling and the dynamic warm up. I would use the stretching as, as part of your cool down. But again, it doesn't matter if you stretch five minutes after the workout or six hours. As long as you do it, that seems to make the biggest biggest difference. Um, have you noticed the difference in members and clients who, uh, injury wise, from who stretch compared to who don't stretch? <sighs>
0: Not necessarily, kind of not directly. I guess is a better way to put it. But indirectly, I feel like it makes a difference because. And I'm not saying you know a 25 minute yoga session, five like before you train. I just mean like some generalized stuff yeah. um, that they that they tend to move better, like in general. Like maybe maybe there's not a huge injury reduction in like that one training session, but to me. Over time, if their movement pattern is better, their resistance to injury is going to be higher. Correct. So I know for me personally, if I don't do some rolling and some sort of stretching of some kind, I feel like I'm going to get hurt more so just because I don't feel like I'm moving well.
1: I, I, I get like, tight very quickly. Yeah.
0: So I... I again... Do I do half an hour of stretching? No, not even close. But I know that this is a little tight on me, so maybe I focus there a little bit. I know that this is a little bit tight and it's going to affect, you know, the depth of my squat or whether or not I'm liable to, I don't know, collapse forward on Mm -hmm. a squat today because my hips or my my quads are extra tight or my ankles range of motion isn't great because my calves are tight or, you know what I mean? Just like... Little stuff over time that I know that if I don't stretch them and I don't work them ahead of time, that it's going to limit my movement. Absolutely.
1: It's all part of the recovery process. Um, So everyone's going to be a little bit different with the recipe that they need to use. Um, I like foam rolling, and I can just foam roll, and I feel good. I can just stretch. But I also know my stretching is better if I foam roll first.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um,
1: So that's why I always combine them. And I've I've said for a while, if we could get a yoga type class and merge that with foam rolling, like I I just think a lot of people would benefit from something like that.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, that's nine times out of 10, it's foam rolling. And then like if something, if even after the foam rolling, something's still not moving right, then maybe I'll either try and nail it a little bit more, uh, proactively with you know a lacrosse ball instead of a foam roller or yeah. whatever if some spots being really stubborn but i'll use plenty of stretching in there too
1: yeah yeah i'd probably say i, I do a lot more like uh, mobility work mm-hmm. than pure stretching but yeah. if i'm going to stretch generally it's like my upper traps my my pack so i'll do a doorway stretch a hip flexor stretch and a calf stretch generally all the areas that get super tight anyways, whether it's an active lifestyle or a sedentary lifestyle. So, you know, really four, four things that I'm doing, you know, t- takes minimal time to do. So, um, but I usually do a lot of this at night before I go to bed too. Um, whereas a lot of people try to do it at different times. I like it cause I feel like it calms me down where some people say, how do you go to bed right after? I feel like it hurts too much. Um, I like the pain. I mean, right. it calms me down. So that's, that's just my personal preference.
0: Or maybe you need to tone back the stretching a little bit if it's that. And like if you're having that much trouble. Like if you have to – I always love the um, – I think it's great cook. If you can't breathe in a position, yeah. you can't survive in a position, you shouldn't be in that position. Exactly. If you can't breathe in a certain range of a stretch – Back off a little bit because you should be able to breathe comfortably. It should be a little bit uncomfortable, but not so much that you have to hold your breath.
1: Correct. And, and stretching, you know, we do have what's called the rebound effect. If you're pulling on the muscle so hard that you get to the point that your body thinks it's going to injure itself, it's going to naturally contract to stop you. Yeah. And then you can cause a muscle spasm or whatever it may be. Um, so breathing is key. You know, I always tell people take it to that first point of stretch. Take a couple deep breaths, see if you can fall deeper into that stretch. You know, really what they're looking at now is, do we really stretch the tissue? Yes, we see elongation of the, the um, sarcolemma, you know, the, the inner workings of the muscle units. Um, but what they're saying is actually it's our nervous system down-regulates. So what we're actually doing is decreasing our resistance to passive stretch, whether it is or not, who cares? I feel better afterwards so it's usually part of a plan of care especially if someone comes in with an injury usually they're getting some type of soft tissue work self soft tissue work some type of stretch and then eventually i'll teach them how to load the system to now help their body understand what this new range of motion is all right another one that i typically hear and and, and this one i know what my personal philosophy is I'll tell you it from a physical therapy standpoint. But I'm really interested to hear what you say from the strength and conditioning side. Um, Patients always talk about the duration of their workouts. And my workouts, I, I like them to be long because if it's a long, hard workout, it's more meaningful. What are your thoughts on that?
0: My thoughts on that are I tend to look at it at a much bigger picture. How long can you actually keep up that level of training? So, yep, you're right. A two-hour workout, you will burn more. I mean, just volume-wise, you're going to burn more calories than a one-hour workout. You're going to get more reps in than a one-hour workout. You may, whatever. My question would be, can you keep up that pace? Whatever your goal is, if your goal is performance... Great. Can you do two hours, four days a week, for multiple weeks in a row? Most people can't. That's a lot. That's a lot. And you will get way more out of four 45-minute sessions over the course of three weeks than you will... So what's that? That's 12 sessions. Then you will getting in five two-hour sessions because you're so demolished after one. Or... Not even like, not even I wake up the next day and I can't go to the gym, but you wake up and you're so tight or sore or just, um, uh, you've used up so much of the energy the day before that you mm-hmm. just, you don't have it that next day. Like those things compound. Most, I mean, professional athletes get that much just in that, you know, they'll lift, they'll go to practice, they'll maybe do some explosive work or some specialized work with a yeah. trainer. But they're professional at. They that's do the, nothing that's else.
1: The, yeah, ex- and that was going to be my point. If, if if working out two hours a day was the only thing you had to do, sure, set yep. me up because you guarantee that your recovery is probably going to be on point. You're probably getting massages. You're yep. probably going to the chiropractor. You probably have your own PT. Yep. Um, so I would not be concerned with that. Plus, it would be structured in a way. You're you're having someone build your own program. Right. Like, you're not doing this on your own. You know, a strength and conditioning coach is telling you, okay, for the first 40 minutes, we're going to be working on this. Then we're going to downregulate the intensity a little bit. Then we're going to ramp you up. And the next day you come in, it's going to be more anaerobic. And then the next day, um, so...
0: And I think, too, that... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. That's all right. I was just going to say, the other thing about that, too, is people assume that, oh, like these, you know, these crazily in-shape people that do two-hour workouts a day... Professional athletes and stuff like that, yeah, their workout may take two hours. They're not doing Tabatas for two hours. They're doing, you know, some, they're doing high strength, low rep exercises with a lot of rest. They're mm-hmm. interspersing, especially in the way programming is going now for pretty much across the board, but especially into the pro athletes where, like, these are $100 million athletes. They, they have to manage their load in terms of their training. It's... Higher weight for lower reps. There's mobility interspaced in there. They're resting a lot between sets. Like, it it takes them two hours, but they are not working out for two hours, if that makes sense. No,
1: I mean, it's very rare. I mean, think of a discipline that we would actually need to work out for two hours straight. The only one that I can think of is a marathon runner. Right, right. That, that's the only uh, – a triathlete? Right, some kind uh, of crazy something long Something where distance. the event – takes longer than two hours or up to that point. Um, You know, We've we've talked before and from a PT standpoint, um, I don't want people doing hours and hours and hours of exercise, especially when they're injured or they have compensated movement patterns. I'd rather small doses and sometimes I'll give it to it often throughout the day, but I'm limiting compensation patterns, I'm limiting fatigue. So if someone comes in and says, oh, I did two hours worth of the home exercises, like, did you do it all at once? It's like, all right, well, what if your body only did five minutes of it correct and then you did the other hour and 55 minutes compensated? Right. Your body remembers the, the majority. So that's why I don't like it. And then just from a personal standpoint, you know, we're not professional athletes. We don't have the luxury of being able to the workout. We have this thing called life that we have to worry about. Um, so I, I enjoy high-intensity shorter workouts you know my goal now is like my sweet spots 25 to 35 minutes if i'm running late someday and i need to get in i have some eight to 11 minute workouts that are just super high intensity um there are times that i'll i'll push it 60 to to 80 something minutes but that's not all the time you know i'd say on average 35 minutes of high intensity two to three times a week and then quite possibly one day where i go a little more insane 60 to 80 minutes but that's purposely knowing i'm gonna have sunday off i'm gonna have probably i'm gonna take monday off because i need my recovery to catch up i need my nutrition to be on point i need my uh sleep to be maintained um but i I always enjoy the more work and less time philosophy um sometimes that's that's not always the greatest when you're looking at it from a standpoint of like strength and conditioning sometimes that's hard because you need two to five minute rest intervals in between um my, my days of, of lifting heavy are far behind me. So uh, I don't have to worry too much about that. Um, you know, but hopefully, you know, you can talk to this too, that in in today's world where everything is just so busy, go, 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 everyone's life is so structured, we don't need long workouts. You know, I, I know a lot of people are like, I only have 15 minutes to work out. Knowing what you know, do you think you could build someone a program, three 15-minute workouts, and they could get the results that they're looking for.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And and what I want you guys to notice is there was absolutely no hesitation when he just said that. That is pure confidence, and I agree with it 100%. But a lot of people are just, well, I need to go for an hour. I need to do this. I need to run for 30 minutes. I need to do what the American Heart Association says. I have to do what the ACSM says. No, you don't. Right. So
0: I think the important thing that you, you touched on a little bit too, so you talked about the nutrition piece. And what? how often would you say that the person that says, I need to work out for at least an hour a day, what reason do they have behind it? How often is it actually performance-based?
1: Oh, rarely ever. Right. Usually those are the it? ones that I need to lose weight.
0: Exactly. So – not only is that person going into it thinking, I need to do an hour to two hours worth of exercise, what else are they probably doing on the backside?
1: Probably undereating.
0: Exactly. They're slashing the shit out of their calories. Which one thing we do know. Now,
1: now let's look at it just from common sense. Yeah. When we work out, we usually say, oh man, I'm working up an appetite. What? What the fuck? Right. Like, <laughs> I'm working up an appetite, but I'm going to eat less food. That completely negates everything that we're just talking about. And what we do know, and the research shows over and over again, working out more and, and eating less over the long term is a very failed way to go about losing weight. In the beginning, you can get away with it because your body, you're, you're outside of homeostasis. Your body does whatever it can to try to, to offset this caloric reduction. And then after a while, your metabolism says, you know what? I don't know where my next meal is gonna come from. I'm gonna slow down to save these calories. And then that's when you get the people that, oh, you know, I'm eating less and less food. I'm gaining weight. And then what do they do? They Work out, out more. more and eat even less. Next, yeah. next thing you know, you have females losing their hair. It's thinning. You have people that are getting cold all the time. You have people, their nails are getting brittle. And that's because they've they've drastically reduced their calories down. They're, they probably have screwed with their thyroid a little bit. Their adrenals are probably shot. Their metabolism's all fucked up. Um, so those are the people, they actually have to overeat calories. They have to re-stimulate their metabolism. And then from there, they slowly have to adjust. But it's just not the way that people go about thinking.
0: I know. I it's, I love the... It's so funny. Have you ever did you ever watch uh have you ever watched Brooklyn Nine Mm-hmm. So it's like a running joke on that series that Terry Crews, who is an absolutely <laughs> monster human Beast. being, has to like eat at he's eating at all times. Like there's an episode where he tells everybody I don't remember why, but he's telling them to take his food away and Jake, one of the other main characters, is standing there and he's like, Here, take my food and he hands him like six Tupperware containers and like five yogurts and like he and that's because if you train two hours a day like somebody like terry cruz or you know like a professional athlete yeah. would those guys are probably eating five six seven thousand calories a day that's what you uh, i shouldn't say that's what you need to do if you have that much mass like muscle mass and you're working out that hard
1: you you have to offset what you burn at a minimum
0: at a minimum and mm-hmm. all that's going to happen if you don't do that is you're gonna you have this like this hill that you're gonna slowly start falling down. And the first week, you're gonna be able to deal with it. Week two, you're gonna get to the end of that week. I mean it may not even take two weeks, but you're gonna start to feel like, oh man, everything feels heavier. Why is this so yeah. much harder? Week three, you're gonna try as hard as you can to loosen up and nothing's gonna loosen up. You're gonna feel tight and dead the whole time. Yep. And then week four, you're either gonna quit because you feel so shitty I quit or, you know, like, oh, I need a week off and then you're just not going to restart or you're going to get hurt because you've been pushing it too hard for too long without enough fuel in the tank. And, and that's where, and then you talked about what happens with the hormones. If you've pushed it far enough that you've had those hormonal changes, then that one week that you don't exercise and burn a thousand calories every mm-hmm. day, if you lost eight pounds in those four weeks Bet your ass those eight pounds are going right back on in that one week because oh, you've, you've dropped your metabolism and your hormonal response so goddamn low.
1: And then it's going to take even longer to get those to come off yeah. because now your body has to kind of try to uh, re-regulate itself, right. you know, which is the, the more you F with it, the harder and harder it gets. So that's – that's it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate that people are still led to believe that working out more – And eating less is is the way to go. Right. Uh, Let's see. Now, another one that people will ask me, um, and it's not, I wouldn't even say it's it's a myth. Um, But a lot of people will ask me about pre-workout supplementation, more specifically energy drinks. Um, You know, some people feel like they're necessary. Other than I like the taste... And other than possibly placebo, I don't see any effects of uh, an energy drink versus if I drink a coffee before working out. Yeah, um, I know you you were fond of energy drinks as as well.
0: Only because I like the taste more so than coffee. Well, on that, that, that was gonna that was gonna about, be my sorry. next
1: next question. Yeah. Do you feel like it's more placebo to you, or do you feel like it actually carries over and increases your
0: performance? So I've done the. I've done the the energy drink thing prior to working out and during workout. I've done the same thing with black coffee. I don't I don't see a difference other than I just enjoy the taste of the energy drinks more exactly. and more often than not I can get a sounds so bad but it's true. I can get a bigger hit of caffeine all at once with an energy drink because I just can drink it faster than I can yeah. black coffee. But if you're just Talking one to one, I really, you know, the BCAA and all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't see any difference in that.
1: I've, I've never. I mean, I, I use a peri Workout drink right now mm. that I'll I'll put into my energy drink as well. That's essential amino acids, which they're showing having all of the essential amino acids, which include the BCAAs, are are more effective in the long run. Yeah, and will stimulate protein synthesis a little bit easier, but. Do I notice an increase in performance? I don't. I, I I really don't. It's just that I like I like the taste. Yeah that's, real, that's really all it comes down to. Um, you know, and as far as like eating before a workout, a lot of people say you gotta you gotta eat protein before a workout. Maybe. I, I work out mostly fasted so and I don't really know a difference anymore. When I was doing more powerlifting, I would have to eat ahead of time because I need that, those calories. But now just to be healthy and fit I, I I. there are times I feel sick if I eat before working right. out just because it's more short burst high energy type stuff that I do now um thoughts on that
0: yeah I I definitely I notice a difference really only in that I should say I notice a difference in the beginning of the workout just because it's kind of that like like for anybody that's seen like smelling salts it's that same sort of like yeah. like like that quick wake up and you can get off to like a a fast start. But I personally noticed that whether I take, like let's say that I'm doing an hour workout on a day that I don't take the pre-workout minute zero to minute 30. I feel like I'm dragging ass versus on a day where I do take a pre-workout, I drink an energy drink minute zero to 30. I'm kind of like, I come out of that quicker. I have a faster start. But whether I have an energy drink or not, minute 30 to 60 feels almost identical. Mm. Um, I usually don't notice any difference in my – I mean obviously you notice little differences as you like get more – you get fitter in, yeah. in quotes. But like in terms of supplementation, I don't notice any difference from minute 30 to minute 60 unless I'm using something that has – carbohydrates in it yeah, or quick, quick burst stuff. right exactly yeah um so would, yeah
1: i'd say my performance is more directly tied to my that day's motivation yeah
0: yeah you know, i like, completely agree
1: so if i'm really looking forward to the workout that is going to be a good workout regardless now i will say there are days that i'm like oh, fuck i don't want to work out today those days have actually been my best so yeah. just showing up and getting it done have been the the better days the only days I I don't work out like I have to be sick. You know, when I was younger, I, I would still go do it. In today's world, not appropriate to do that. Um, but now it's like my body's already broken down. Why am I going to go break it down some more? Right. I'll just shut it down for the day and and, and see how it goes tomorrow. So, but I, I would definitely say my my daily motivation um, really is the bigger uh, indicator as as far as my performance is concerned.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Now, we talked about pre-workout supplementation. Um, now, post-workout supplementation, this is one that, that I heard a long time ago, and people still say it. Um, you can only consume 30 grams of protein at a time. Anything more than that, your body just excretes it. What are your, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I don't know. I don't know enough of the science behind it to, to you know negate that necessarily, but I don't tend to worry about it that much. I mean, if you're talking about, if you're like, oh, I'm trying to get, if you're somebody who's just starting out, and your goal is to gain as much muscle as possible, and you go grab one of the mass gainer shakes that have 50 grams of protein and 5,000 calories yeah. per per scoop, and you put three of those scoops in a, you know, so you have 120 grams of protein in a blender bottle, yeah, that's that's not all going to get used, but... If you're like. And if you're when,
1: l- when they try to push that out. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be a brick. <laughs>
0: yeah. But if you're like. Okay, I, you know, if I put two scoops of this, it's going to be 40 grams of protein. But the science says that anything over 30 get... No, fuck that. No, well, I don't worry about that. And, and,
1: and I think a lot of people get lost in that number because specifically that 30 grams of protein was specifically for protein synthesis only. Mm-hmm. So what they did show is that 30 grams of protein optimizes protein synthesis. And there was no difference between 30 grams and 60. So what we know is protein synthesis does not need more. However, when you look at all the other, everything is made up of protein in the body. Anything can benefit from an amino acid. And then really the big thing that's different with uh, protein compared to fats and carbohydrates is it contains nitrogen. Um, So we're still getting that. We don't take into account the number of non-protein synthesis processes in the body that still require protein. So I usually will tell people, you know, aim aim for about 50 grams, you know, at each meal. If you're eating three times a day, that's gonna bring you in the ballpark of about 150. Um, Some days more, some days less. Um, Now we do have to remember, as we become more fit, our body is more capable or we have a better ability to then utilize the protein we take in. So maybe we don't need as much, you know, eventually, especially as we become older as well, our body just does a better job at, at utilizing what we do take in. Um, but when people say, oh, our body can only use 30 at a time, no, no, that's not the case. You know, maybe if you, again, if you were taking the 120 grams, yes, the body's not going to use all of that. Right. So what is it going to do? It's going to store some as fat. It's gonna, you're going to excrete some of it. Um, it. The body deaminates it right away, takes what it needs and gets rid of the rest. So if your body needs 80 grams, it's gonna use all 80. So um, that's another one that I still hear quite often. I don't get caught up in it. And if anyone actually watched me eat a steak dinner, they would know I eat more than 80 grams or or 30 grams in one sitting, you know? And even if I have a, a, every once in a while, I'll do a protein shake right after I work out you know, I usually do two scoops of my protein, and, and that is 23 grams per scoop. So, instantly, I'm taking 46 grams right off the bat. And I usually have it with milk, which is probably another 8 to it's 15 eight grams. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I'm already up over 50, and I'm, right. I'm still here. So.
0: Okay, so going off that, because the other one that I always hear about, oh, I don't want to get too much protein, it's going to damage my kidneys i'm gonna get kidney stones i'm gonna you know protein i don't know if it's actually called protein toxicity or if i'm um, if i'm creating that phrase in my head but that's essentially what people are afraid of yeah and you know if you don't already have a history of kidney disease correct I don't know. it's, I, it's rare
1: you, that it's going to happen.
0: Right. And I, the amount of protein that you have to eat to hit those levels, assuming again, of course, that you don't have some sort yeah. of already be, uh decreased kidney function is astronomical.
1: Yeah. So even the uh the guys at Precision Nutrition put out a blog on this a couple of years ago where they looked at what's a safe number of of protein that we can take and they said that you can actually take in two grams of protein per kilogram of lean body weight which if we look at our standard recommendations you know they're saying what we need to stave off disease is 0. 0.4 kilograms or, or grams per kilogram of body weight that's a big difference yeah I mean if you really think about that that's that's a significant amount more and they're saying yep yeah, up to two grams of protein per kilogram of lean body weight perfectly safe so if that's the case it's like oh man why don't we increase that protein which feeds our muscle mass, which, again, is going to help us, you know, just live a more robust lifestyle. Um, now, is that the only thing people should be eating? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we don't have to fear protein like, like we once did or still do, um, especially if you are a more athletic individual. You need to maintain your muscle mass. Protein helps with that. They've also shown that when you are cutting calories, when you are trying to actually lose weight, if you cut your carbohydrates, but you increase your protein, you will actually maintain your muscle mass better.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that way you're more likely burning off some of the glycogen, you're burning off more of the, the blood sugar, and you're burning off more fat tissue compared to the muscle. So, you know, whether whether people have had success with that, that's just what the research states. Yeah. All right. What are your thoughts on no pain, no gain when it comes to working out? You know, whether that's from you know, just the, the strain of working out or actual pain that they have and actual structure that's bothering them.
0: My thought process on this has evolved a little bit over the last couple of years. Um I still think that on its face, no pain, no gain is bullshit advice. Um So just that, like, shooting for something to hurt or if something is very painful to just fire through it at the same intensity is absolute bullshit advice Yep. what I've come to understand a little bit better is that some pain dependent on the situation and the exercise and the um, programming or the thought process behind it is not as bad as I once believed it to be Um, you know and I'm talking about the person that is coming back from a serious knee injury and has some pain doing squats, but it's a controlled movement, not the person who's coming back from knee pain and goes to class and they tell them that they're doing 300 squat jumps and they feel pain after 10 and they just blast through it. That is not the same. So yes, it depends on the situation, but overall, the basic advice I think is horse crap.
1: Yeah, I mean, no pain, no gain. I mean, that's one of the oldest mottos that you could ever hear. And however, that's what brings most people into my office to begin with. No pain, no gain.
0: Can I say one other thing real quick? The other thing about this phrase, right? This phrase, if I remember correctly, it comes from the Marines, yep. right? Or the, I think it's from the Marines. The Marines, the Navy it's SEALs, it's mili- something. Military it's military. Based. Regardless, it's military-based. You have to live no pain, no gain in the military because if you have pain, you don't stop yeah. or you there's a chance you die. You die. That is not working out for the general person, the whatever. You hear, I've read, you know, the multiple books by multiple, you know, there's the stuff from um, Jocko Willick, there's... Uh, Brandon Webb, who's another Navy SEAL, there's the um, American sniper, all these guys. Everywhere in those books, at some point, talk about how, you know, they couldn't go to this because they couldn't walk, their knees were so bad, or my back was so bad, or this, or that. And it's inspirational because they fight through that stuff. The reason they have to fight through that stuff is if you don't, you die. It's life or death. So, but that is not the same as person x going to the gym who wants to lose weight or just even the even the people that want to be like gladiator shape you don't get that way by fighting through the same knee injury over and over again
1: no and and again it comes down to what type of pain is it again it's a Mm -hmm. sensation so you know you have to educate someone on what's normal what's not and we have to remember that that pain or or hurt doesn't equal harm so Mm -hmm. you know is it just muscular fatigue? Is it lactic acid buildup? That's perfectly normal. You know, you don't want to take it to the point of potentially developing rhabdo or anything like that. Um, but if someone's coming back like from a plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis, loading the tendon is going to hurt, but you're not harming it. But you also have to say, okay, you're going you're to reach a maximum threshold of this. Don't do any more. And then you progressively load them. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's, oh, you know, it hurts and I just kept going. Um, I think you also see the opposite end of the spectrum was, eh, it hurts, so I'm not going to do anything, which we've talked about before on podcasts. So we don't have to beat a dead horse, but we got to be somewhere in the middle. You know, a little bit of discomfort is okay because how is our body going to respond to it? Um, you know, again, if we just go trying to run through a brick wall, that's when we're gonna develop that, the next problem. And, and then next thing you know, you gotta to come to PT, which our goal is to let's keep people out of physical therapy, let's get them to perform. And if you're gonna use PT, use it as more of a, a functional tune-up. Let's prevent things from coming back or, or prevent them from starting. Uh, or at least that that is my opinion. Yeah. All right, now another common one that I hear, and this is more so from, from females, is that I don't want to strength train because I don't want to run the risk of getting bulky. In your experience, just your average gym-goer, how many females have you had work under you that actually got, quote-unquote, bulky? 0.0%.
0: Yeah.
1: It's just, if you get bulky from... And this is your average gym goer. I'm yes. not talking about a gymnast or I'm not talking about a power lifter. Um, those are specialized. And you know, if someone sees like um, the CrossFit competitors, the female CrossFit competitors, shredded, big thighs, you know, yeah. lots of muscle, but that's very specific. That's yeah. not your average gym goer. If you're an average gym goer and you are bulkier and you're a female, you're either on steroids or you have gifted genetics. Yeah. And then if you don't like it, blame your parents. That's it. Um, it, it it's, I've seen plenty of, of muscular females, but I wouldn't classify them as bulky. But even if they get bulky, other than having to change their clothes size, what's, what's the negative of being having increased muscle mass? And that's what we're defining as bulkier. I'm not talking, you know, put on weight in, in terms of uh, fat tissue. We're talking muscle mass, what negatives can you see from a female gaining more muscle mass? None. None. Absolutely none. And, and you know, we, we need to normalize increased muscle mass. You know, the, the whole stick figure look. I want to be lean. I want to be as thin as possible. Eh, it's not for me. Yeah, you know, no, me neither. I, I mean, lift some weights, you know. Why not be strong? Right. You know, and muscle is our most efficient fat burner. So the more muscle we put on, again, you're decreasing the likelihood of of having an accumulation of body fat as well. So I just think there's far too many benefits for females to strength train, and, and a lot of them are just still wrapped in that, I don't want to look like a man. I know plenty of men that work out that don't get bulky.
0: No, Right.
1: So if that's the case, then why do we have to worry?
0: Well, yeah, and it's like, so take this argument and now, and then rewind it back to what we were talking about with exercising more and eating less like what is what is the more likely goal of you know the woman who's coming in and doesn't want to get bulky, doesn't want to get too big, more often than not they're there because they want to lose weight. Off mm. in my experience that's been the usually the connection point there. Oh, I want to, you know, I want to look toned, but I don't want to get bulky. Mm. Okay? Because you want to look toned, because you, that 99% of the time translates to, I want to lose body fat. Yeah. The person who has the mindset of, I want to lose body fat, is not eating enough to facilitate that type of muscular growth. Correct. If you're a male and you don't eat more than you burn, you don't build muscle tissue. Not really. You may burn. You may build a little bit here or there, but not really. Not, you build more strength it. than you do actual muscle tissue. Yeah, that difference is even more. I didn't create genetics. I didn't create that men put on muscle mass more efficiently than women. Women are more often under eating more so than men are. If men overeating. Don't put on muscle mass. Women under eating certainly are not going to put on muscle mass. Yeah, you know, and,
1: and and we were just um, we have testosterone, right? You know, it, it's a very, it, really the only difference. It, it's a, it's I mean, a in cheat. Terms of, it's a cheat code for us. Yeah, you know that that's genetically, you know, uh, I forget the word I'm trying to use at this point. Evolution. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, yeah. it's they we have testosterone and yeah. that's really, you know, the biggest, you know, that's our sex characteristic and that's what allows us to to gain muscle mass and, and to burn fat so quickly. Right. Um, so it, it's I, it's just unfortunate that I still hear women state that because it's like you want to be stronger, you know, you want to go into your older years having more muscle mass, having more strength, you know, just being more robust. Um, you know, they, They've even looked at studies and they typically see that people that are still living a robust lifestyle you know, typically are stronger. And and specifically, they look at forearm grip strength. Um, so people that typically have stronger grip strength typically have a, have a more robust lifestyle. We're only getting that if we're, you know, farmers for 100 years or if we're strength training. Yeah. You know, so um, just these little things that hopefully, you know, based on what we talked about today, people can start to just think about things with a little bit more common sense. Uh, as we've talked about before, common sense is not, all that common in today's world, and and we need to erase some of the fear factor and the myth that's associated with it. Now, are there any other major myths that you want to get out of the way?
0: No, I think we hit most of the most of the big ones for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you know a couple more of them will come up, and, and maybe in a couple of weeks we'll do uh, you know, part two to this. Right. But you know, I think this was a good place to start. Um, and I mean, I'm sure if we sat here and had five hours, we'd be able to fill the entire five hours. Oh yeah. That certainly wouldn't be a problem. Um, but I think these are the big ones that people will typically talk about. So, um, you know, for what it's worth, these are our opinions. We talked about the research. Um, so again, you know, hopefully someone found this to, to be beneficial, but you know, you, you can always find the opposite. You can go online and, and find arguments for everything opposite of what we said you know but that's that's when you have to think for yourself uh do your own research and and at the end of the day you're just going to find what what works best for you
0: yep all right guys so keep an eye on uh we'll have we should have we're still going that yeah so we'll have a new one coming out next week as well we should be back on a little bit more of a normal schedule um at least for the next few weeks uh, I will keep for those of you that listened to last week's or uh, two weeks ago's episode with uh, Sarah. I'll keep her information in the uh, in our link in case anybody's struggling with some pelvic health type stuff. For those of you that maybe didn't listen to the last one and are dealing with some issues along those lines, you should probably go back and listen to that one. Tons of awesome stuff in there. Um, as usual, the link to my uh, online Facebook page is there, as well as uh, my email address. As well as Ross's um, Fit for Life PT page, as well a account where he gives you, uh, he sells, or well, he has the ability for you to buy supplements that he's recommended, uh, all kinds of great stuff. So if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to the email address or anywhere else for those of you that you know are friends with us on Facebook. Yeah, or whatever. Just reach
1: out, say anything you want.
0: Yep, uh, we're always looking for ideas. Until next week, guys. We will catch you later.
1: See ya.